I invite you to turn your Bibles to Psalm 134, as well as in your bulletin, locate the sermon notes. Use that to follow along and the like. We're, we're, we're looking at the second shortest psalm in the Bible. And uh, has, I believe, 29 words in the Hebrew. I don't know about the English. I didn't count them. Um, but as short as this psalm may be, it is packed. And I, there's no question that I am not going to do justice to what God gives us here in this psalm. Um, so please pray. But also... Please use this as a springboard into the study of this psalm and beyond. Um, Next week, we're going to transition into Ruth, just briefly. Um, uh, So we're going to go into Ruth. Uh, We'll spend time looking at that book together. And then following that, um, I would anticipate we're going to go into the the Gospels, looking at the life and teachings of Jesus Christ. So, But for now, we're at Psalm 134. And uh, brothers and sisters, this is the word of Almighty God. And as was, as, is the, as was the practice in Bible times, when in the context of worship or the tabernacle or the uh, synagogue, when the word of God was read, um, they stood out of reverence and respect. So please, if you would, stand out of reverence and respect for the reading of the word of our King. Psalm 134. Behold, bless the Lord, all servants of the Lord, who serve by night in the house of the Lord, Lift up your hands to the sanctuary and bless the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. Thus far, the reading of God's word. Let's pray together. Father, we're so grateful for your word and the privilege that you've given us to have this meal right before us, placed before us to feed our souls richly upon you. Lord, we know that no no, no food will be digested today without the Spirit's enabling grace. So we pray, O Lord, Holy Spirit, would you open our eyes, granting illumination, that we would, in hearing your word, we would digest it as a people, that it would nourish us literally, and that it would grow us and mature us. And uh, though line upon line, precept upon precept, as insignificant as that may be, that growth, nevertheless, O Lord, grow us, we pray this day. Holy Spirit, unto your glory and praise. Grant us the grace to understand, to feast, to feed. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. This morning we are wrapping up a portion of Scripture, incredible section of Scripture known as the Songs of Ascents. There are 15 songs, as you know, that God gave to his pilgrim people um, that they might learn, that they might sing them, that they might memorize them. And in that, we mean that they might appropriate them, that they might take them in, and that they might be encouraged as they, as we travel on the road unto glory. You recall the first psalm, Psalm 120, began in the wilderness, Meshech and Kedar. Meshech being the furthest point at the time of the writing of this, way north in Asia Minor. Uh, Kedar, way south in the Sinai, uh, Sinai uh, Peninsula. And for them, that was the extent of the world, the known world, at least uh, to them. And so this begins with God's people living in a hostile world. Remember, that song ends with, I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. 
I'm about sharing the gospel, ministering, helping people. But the world beats us down and beats us up. And brothers and sisters, that's the songs of a sense. They're written for those people, those pilgrims, you and me, living in this state of sin and misery. Psalm 121, we get our first glimpse at Jerusalem. And it's, it's noteworthy that that early in the Songs of Ascent, we get a glimpse of Jerusalem because that's our heavenly home. That's where we're marching. That's what's ever before us in our trek. God gives us that so early to teach us that, brothers and sisters, that which drives us on is the hope of the second coming of Jesus Christ. It's the hope of the new heavens and the new earth. It's the hope of the new Jerusalem. Then in Psalm 122, finds us standing within the city gates of Jerusalem. And from 122 to 133, we get all kinds of psalms describing the glory and the beauty and the grace and the greatness of our God and the ministry of God in in our lives with regards to the world in which we live, culminating in Psalm 133 with that glorious uh, statement of blessedness, God's blessings upon the unity of the body of Jesus Christ. And that then leads, so this is the fourth movement. So the first movement, Psalm 120. Second movement, Psalm 121, where we spy and see the Jerusalem. Third mo- uh, movement is we're in the, the city. The final movement is the summit. Imagine planning for years to, to scale Mount Everest. And imagine you're just four or five steps away from the summit. And imagine, unlike today, where you'd be surrounded by hundreds of people, perhaps. You've seen those pictures, perhaps. It's just you. And you, you have four, four more steps. And as you take the, those four steps, you come to the summit. That's what's going on here. God's people have taken the steps into the presence of God, um, into the Temple Mount, onto the uh, Temple Mount, where they're now worshiping, where God's worship is taking place. That's where this song brings us. So this is the climax of our journey. This is where you and I are all headed. This is our glory, our joy, and our longing um, as God's people right here. Um, And so this song, though very, very short, nevertheless is packed with significance. And I hope that as we look at this this morning, um, we can look at some of that significance and be encouraged and built up and blessed by it. It begins with a call. Notice with me the call of worship, verse 1 through 2. Behold, bless the Lord, all servants of the Lord, who serve by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. If we read verse 3, you'd see another word for bless. You'd see, once again, bless. The theme of Psalm 134 is bless. And that word bless is used in three distinct ways in Scripture, two of which are here. Okay, the first usage is the one used in one through two, and that is the word bless is the word literally means, translated literally means to kneel. And it means to kneel um, in deference. It means to kneel that you might give unto the, unto the person you're kneeling before deference, that which is their due, whether it's money, whether it's in this context worship, Nevertheless, it's a kneeling in deference on account of the character and the person or the being before whom you are kneeling. Um, uh, Tony Murata, you've got it there in your notes, wrote, True worship is God-centered. 
You can't miss the emphasis on the Lord in verses 1 through 3. Worship isn't about our work, our performance, or our goodness. It's about God's work, God's grace, and God's goodness. He is worthy of praise. That's what God's people are at at this moment. That's where we are. We are at that moment where our call is to give to God that which is his due. You remember that the Anglo-Saxon root of worship is what? Worth-ship. They used to call worship worth-ship at the beginning, right? Worth-ship. We're coming not to experience, we're coming to give. R.C. Sproul in his series on foundations that we're doing in Sunday school or at least one of the classes. The very first lesson, he talks about the difference between a theology department and a religious department. A theology uh, um, revolves around knowing God. Who is this being? Religion is a description of man's experience of God. So the, the uh, um, um, movement uh, in many colleges, in many Bible colleges and seminaries, is to replace theology with a religion department. If you recall that, those of you who, who heard that. Well, brothers and sisters, that is exactly the movement that goes on in our hearts with regards uh, to God. We want to go from a worship service where we, where we come and, and, and ascribe to God his worth, to a, a worship service where we, which is cultural uh, today, where we experience God, where we get to um, have an encounter with God. Brothers and sisters, worship, first and foremost, is a place and a time where you go to give God the glory that's his due. And the irony is, the word for glory and the word for vanity are the opposite words used in reference to God's worship. Glory means weightiness or substance. Our call in, in life, not just here on Sunday, but in life, as we think of the pilgrim's journey in life, is to live in light of the weightiness or the substance of our God. That's the call here. Bless the Lord, all servants of the Lord. Live in light of his greatness. Don't take his name, his character lightly, but live in light of his greatness. So whether it's in a formal worship service like it is here in the, in the sense that this is the culmination of God's people worshiping him, or whether it's you and I leaving the Temple Mount, going back to our, 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 our daily living, the call, nevertheless, as servants of the Lord, is to bless, is to reverence, is to exalt and glorify God. Now, therefore, this call is a call to worship, and that's not surprising. But what is a surprise in this psalm is the people to whom verses 1 through 2 are directed. Notice with me verse 1 and 2 again. Notice, what, to whom is this psalm written? Verse 1, Behold, bless the Lord, all servants of the Lord. Well, who are they? Who serve by night in the house of the Lord. Who are these servants who are being commanded to bless God? Well, it turns out they're the Levites, the priests. <clears throat> when God um, um, organized his people into a nation and gave them a tabernacle, He also uh, set apart a group of people known as Levites, the tribe of Levi, which became Levites and thus priests. And he gave them a charge, verse uh, verse 8 of Deuteronomy 10, to carry the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, to stand before the Lord to serve him, and to bless his name. Threefold call. To carry, to stand, and to bless, to worship God's 
name, his character. Give him the due that his character deserves. Years later, under David, David added, through God as a prophet, added one more responsibility to the Levites. It's found in 1 Chronicles 9. Now these are the singers, heads of the father's households of the Levites, who lived in the chambers of the temple free from other service. So he added to the work of the, of the Levite the call of singing. And to that, he then also added to their workday um, in First Chronicles 23. And they are to stand every morning to thank and to praise the, uh, the Lord and likewise at every evening. So their workday was day and night. It wasn't just during the day. And they were to, to, to perform the divine worship that God gave them. Now, brothers and sisters, you've got to understand, this group of people were set apart from the womb to do this work. Think about that. So you, you know, grew up, you have your childhood, you have all these things that you learned, and name it. Um, and then you go to high school and college, and there you specify what you're going to learn. Imagine from the day one, you were taught that you are going to be a doctor. Or, or, or an engineer, or an accounting. And so you didn't learn a whole lot more. What you learned was how to perform your job. For all of your childhood, up to the age of 30 years old, you studied, nonstop, trained, learned, watched, been observed, been taught how to worship God. And then we come in Psalm 134. God's people enter into the presence of God, and their call is to call those people who've devoted their lives to worship, who at that moment are worshiping God, we're called uh, to say, bless the Lord. That's why it says, behold. Behold, shocking. Whatever you're going to read next is going to shock you. Because the call first and foremost is given to those people who've been set aside by God to worship God. Behold, bless ye the Lord, all servants of the Lord, who serve by day and by night in the house of the Lord. Bless the Lord. Now, brothers and sisters, that it begins with them is very didactic, instructive for you and me. Because, brothers and sisters, if they need to hear this call, Think about that. They've, they've spent 30 plus years of their lives studying for this, preparing for this, ordained for, for this. If they need to hear that call to serve, to, while you're there doing the divine worship, don't forget to worship God. Do you see how instructive this is? I was, this past week, I, I was reading a, a commentary. That's, that tends to be my pastime. I like reading commentaries. This past week, I was reading a, a commentary, and, and, it, and it mentioned the worship of God's people and how it's so often the case that our liturgy gets in the way of worship. Now, it wasn't being critical of liturgy. Liturgy is the order of service, right? It's, so if you open up our bulletin, our liturgy began here, and it went here, and okay, it's just your liturgy. He's not being critical of liturgy because every church, every, every worship service has liturgy, whether it's printed or not, right? He's not being critical. What he's saying is, is that it's amazing we develop or God gives us a liturgy to help us worship him, to help us when we come here to gaze upon him, to exalt him, to glorify him, to genuinely offer praise unto him. But in, the, in, the, in due course of time, it's easy to take the focus off the end of the liturgy and place it on the liturgy. My guess is many of you did that this day. 
You came here, you're used to our worship service. You came here, and yep, first thing they're going to give up, give it a little kind of mini talk about the word, then we're going to have a call to worship, then we're going to pray, and then we're going to sing. And then after singing, we're going to uh, confess. Did you guys really confess as we read uh, together? Or did you just read those words? Because that's what we do. And then afterwards, this guy's going to pray a prayer, and it may or may not hit me, I don't know. And then we're going to have a time of, of assurance of pardon. But at that moment, did you really listen? Or were you, or were you distracted thinking about everything else? Did you really receive from the word of God the fact that God is, has forgiven you and is reconciled to you? Boy, I'll tell you what, we'd sing a whole lot different. We'd respond with, whoa, God, you actually, it's well with my soul. Brothers and sisters, the tendency in life is to allow our liturgy to distract us. And you know what? There not only is a liturgy of worship, but there's a liturgy of life. Did you know that? You and I set and establish our weekly um, schedule to hopefully maximize, at some point in your life, to maximize your walk with God. So, for example, every morning I have a quiet time. Every morning I get up, I shower. Before anything else, after I shower, I sit down and spend about an hour worshiping, fellowshipping, praising God. That's what I do. And then I go downstairs, and if I'm studying Scripture, I open up Scripture, and I da-da-da-da-da, right? You all have a technique. In the evenings, we got family devotions. Why do we do it? Because we want to use this initially for God's people, my people, my family, to come and know and love God. So we have this liturgy of life. And what this psalm is saying, what this psalm is saying to all servants of the Lord, every one of you who by 1 Peter 2 verse 9b are priests of the Lord, just like the Levites were. We've been made priests in Jesus Christ. God's call here is, Christian, don't grow bored with Christ. Don't grow bored with God. Don't grow um, casual with God. I can't tell you how many times in a given month I have to confess the sin of casuality in my walk with God. I'll be praying to God, and the next thing I'm doing, I'm fixing my car in my mind. And I'm, you know, would, I, would you ever do that in talking verbally with a king or someone important? Would you start saying, hey, boy, I want to tell you how much you are amazing to me. You're so great. And I'm going to, you know, I'm going to buy a carburetor, I think. I'm going to get my car. I'm going to get a carburetor. And they look at you like you're nuts. Brothers and sisters, we do that all the time in our prayer, don't we? And when I do it, I say, God, forgive me for my casualness. It's human nature, no doubt. It's our human frailty. But it's still, it's this casualness. If I was more formal, if I understood the objection, the objection here, the objection, the objective is to fellowship, to exalt, to glorify God. It's not to pray. It's not to read a scripture. It's not to study it. It's to come to the point where we are glorifying and enjoying God. That's the whole point of our liturgy. So when this psalm begins exhorting these priests, the first thing that sticks up is, first of all, why does it do it? Because the nature of our hearts. Why are we called to call the servants of the Lord who already are serving the Lord to serve the Lord with all due diligence? Why? Because of the natures of our heart, they're prone to wander. But secondly, because of the need of our hearts. Because of our need. Have you ever noticed, have you ever seen a tug-of-war? Have you ever participated in tug-of-war? When I was in sixth grade, the sixth grade boys tug-of-war against the sixth grade girls. 
It's what we always did. That was, in fact, I went to elementary school with this glorious climax. I can't wait till I'm in sixth grade and I can pull the, do, get a team together of the biggest, strongest, baddest, meanest men or boys around and beat the girls. And every year the girls won. You probably know that, right? Why? Because they're women and we're just little boys, you know? Who haven't gone through puberty yet? Pull! But in the middle of a tug of war, right? In the middle of it, what do you hear? What do you say? If you're in the tug of war, what do you scream? And if you're watching, what do you scream? Why? They're pulling, right? You're at a football game, pass out into the flat. Breaks a tackle. He runs 95 yards. And as he's running, what are you yelling? Run! Why? Because we need it, brothers and sisters. We need it. These guys, what strikes me is these priests' response is not, and we'll get there, is not, who do you think you're talking to? We've spent the last 35 or 50 years of my life studying how to worship God, and you're telling me to do it? You have no idea what you're talking. He doesn't say that, as we'll see. So get this, brothers. Not only is it uh, um, natural for our sinful hearts to wander, even in the context of worship, or the context of the liturgy of our life, where we are daily in the Word of God, daily having devotions, right? And then one other note, brothers and sisters, in this context, if the objective is God then brothers and sisters, don't allow how you feel to drive you. That's religion. You are called as servants of the Lord to give glory to God. The reason I say that is that you look at Job. And what is it that, that Satan said about Job? If you smite him, if you make his life difficult, if you seem far off from Job, he will not worship you. He will not serve you. And what does Job do? He worships and serves God. May I make a suggestion from Job? God is more glorified in your walk with Christ when you pray and plead and bow before him when you don't feel like it than when you're on cloud nine. Anyone on cloud nine, is going to say, God, hallelujah, I love you, you're amazing. But in the words of C.S. Lewis, how much more is God honored when our hearts feel like God is a billion miles away and when we pray, they bounce off the roof. Don't stop there. That's in the words of Job. That's You're now in Job. Whether it's because of the circumstances or just because of the, of the attenuation of life, you feel distant. Don't stop there, brothers and sisters. And that's why you need to hear this call. And that's why we as a people of God need to give the call to each other all the time. On Sundays, discipleships, Bible studies, prayer meetings, name it. Hey, servant of the Lord. Yeah, serve the Lord. Don't stop. Trust Christ. Don't stop trusting. Rely upon his cross work. Don't stop relying. But I'm the teacher. I'm the, you don't know. We all need to hear it because of, our, of the nature of our flesh and because of our need. When I'm pulling, I need, I am bolstered when I hear people yelling at me, pull harder. Pull. And when I'm in my walk with God, I need you to tell me and you need me to tell you and each other to tell you, seek the Lord in your liturgy. That's what the whole thing's for, to seek the Lord in your liturgy. So let's do that. Okay, that's the call. That then leads to the uh, provision. 
the provision of the, the call. Verse 3a, notice with me. May the Lord bless you from Zion. Now, these are the words of the priest. So as I said before, it would, be, it would not surprise me, it wouldn't offend me if I went to a person who spent his entire life studying how to be a worshiper. If I told them, hey, yeah, worship God. If they looked at me and said, who do you think you're talking to here? That wouldn't surprise me. But that's not what the priests do here. When the priests hear the call of verses 1 through 2, behold, you're never going to believe this. Yes, even you need to be reminded that the purpose of your function at this moment is to exalt and glorify God, to give him the worth that is his due. Bless the Lord, the emphasis, right? In response to what the priests do, they come back and they say, may the Lord bless you. And the implication is, bless you in your worship. Yeah, we're worshiping God, and you've called us to bless God. And we're telling you, because you've just entered in, well, may the Lord bless you in your worship. That's the response. This is a benediction. Many of the commentators talk about how uh, verse 1 and 2 is the high point of the song of ascents. Now they have to go home. And now as God's people about ready to go home, the priests raise their hands and they give the benediction of the Lord. The word benediction means the good word. And the good word is not on their authority, but the authority of, uh, of the Lord. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you, be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. That's the idea. May the Lord bless you from Zion. And therefore, understand these are not just... Um, eloquitious words. These are not beautiful sounding words, you know. Um, these words mean something. When, when blessing is used of us towards God, it means to bow the knee and give that to the being you're bowing to what is their due. If it's money, you're giving money, whatever it is. That means to bless. That's, that's the idea behind bless. The second definition of bless is to endow with strength or power. So when the priests say, the Lord bless you and keep you. They're, they're giving you God's will. And God's will is to endow you with power. That you might walk with the Lord and serve the Lord and honor the Lord in and through all, out all your, your life. So the call of this psalm is to, or at least at this point, the uh, provision is that God would bless you. He would, he would enable you. And brothers and sisters, you need to understand this is the flow of Christianity. Um, how can weak and sinful people serve God? How can rebellious people worship God acceptably? How can vessels of clay prove faithful to their noble calling as servants of Christ in the land of Kedar, which is hostile to the Lord? How can you receive this word and leave here, even though this last week found you in miry sin and you still have the gunk and mire, even though you confessed your sin? During this service, you're already planning on how you're going to go out and sin more. How... how how, how can this happen? How can this penetrate those cold hearts of ours? How can God's provision genuinely come to us? Well, brothers and sisters, God's provision comes to us because um, even though worship is our highest calling, would you understand something very important? It's also our hardest calling, right? And because it's our hardest calling, do you know what God does? I want you to listen to Romans chapter 8. It's one of my favorite um, passages in Romans 8. 
Roman 8 is talking about the different provisions, the blessings, the benefits that flow from Christ. And in 26 and 27, this is the seventh benefit. It says, and in the same way, the Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses. And we go, well, that's a great benefit. The Spirit of God is present in our life, helping us in our weaknesses. Now, Paul could have chosen any realm of weakness. He helps us in our weaknesses, like when you got cancer. Helps us in our weaknesses when you got an unfavorable diagnosis. Helps us in our weaknesses when the world is against you. But he doesn't reference that. He references, my argue when I preach this, he references the place that we are at our greatest weakness. What is that? In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know how to pray. You think prayer is my greatest weakness? Brothers and sisters, when you're dealing with an infinite, eternal, and unchangeable being, and you're finite, temporal, immutable, changeable, do you realize you have a better chance of communing with an amoeba than you do God? Think about that. The greatest, we are at our greatest weakness as Christians in the worship service. Everything else is, is, is child's play in comparison to, to that. I remember as a parent, I've shared this before. Every time you have kids as parents, your kids, every child is going to come to a point in their life where they go, you say, hey, tomorrow's church. And they'll go, ah. Oh. And maybe that happens today already in your life. Church tomorrow, ah. Oh. You know, I got to go to church. It's so boring. That was my child, right? My first child, uh, David. Oh, it's boring. Why don't you want to go to church? It's boring. It's so hard. Well, David, at that age, I don't know, five, six, I don't know how old he he was. He wanted to be a pro football player. So I said, son, it is boring. You're exactly right. It is hard. In fact, you have a better chance of starting as as the quarterback for the Denver Broncos tomorrow than you do to worship God acceptably. Why? Because you, you are so much closer to the Denver Broncos in stature and everything than you are to God, right? Our confession talks about the distance between us and God. It's not a physical distance. It's a moral, it's, a, it's an ontological difference. So for when you and I are seeking to praise God and serve God, we are at our greatest weakness, and therefore we need, Psalm 134, a provision. What's that uh, provision? The blessings of God. Kidner wrote, and I, I, miswrote, I miswrote it, for man to bless God, not God to bless man. For man to bless God, God must make of him what he is not and give him what he has not. And that's the case, brothers and sisters, throughout all of Scripture. We love because he first loved us. We choose him because he first chose us. If it wasn't for the divine work in our lives, we could do nothing good, nothing spiritual, nothing eternal. Ephesians 1, listen to it. God has um, blessed be the God and Father of Lord Jesus Christ. Praise him because God has blessed us first with every spiritual blessing. Do you, do you see it? Our ability to worship God comes from God's first blessing us. Philippians 2, you know the verse. My beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Boy, that's a high call. How do you do it? For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good uh, pleasure. The only way we do it is by God's grace. The only way we do it is because of God. So this text is very clear. The moment you come in and say, hey, worship God well, the response is, may God so enable you to do the same. I love it. It's a look to God. It's a recognition that it's from God all blessings flow. 
Not from our diligence, not our hearts, not our will. In fact, it says, it says as much in this psalm. Would you notice verse 3? May the Lord bless you from where? Zion. What's Zion? Jerusalem. What's Jerusalem? By now, you better be able to say this, right? I've said it almost every week. The Bible and the Bible, in the Bible, uh, Jerusalem, the word Jerusalem is used three different ways. It's used of the, of the new Jerusalem, which is the uh, age uh, to come, the new heavens and the new earth. There will be the new Jerusalem, Galatians 4. 26. It's also used of the Jerusalem above, which is salvation. Galatians 4, 25. And it's also used of the literal city where the worship of God takes place. Well, if God's going to bless us in this day from Jerusalem, from Zion, where, how is it going to be the new, the new Jerusalem? No, because that's the age to come. That's off the board as a possibility. Well, then the other two are how he's going to bless us. One or both. Let's look at them. Either Jerusalem here is salvation. And you find in Scripture that is indeed the ability that God's given us to worship him. Without salvation, we can do nothing. Listen to 1 Peter, or 2 Peter chapter um, uh, 1, verse 3. Seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. It's by the divine power... That, we come, that we've come to know and honor God. It's by the divine power we continue to enjoy everything we need for life and godliness. Do you, do you see it, brothers and sisters? The call here is not for you and I to go, to go home and be more diligent in our walks. Right? I, that's it. My, I'm going to purpose to be more diligent. I haven't been in the Word of God as frequently as I should be. I need to be. And that's a good application. Don't stop there. Okay? I mean, do it, but don't stop there. The second point is, but brothers and sisters, it's only going to come as you and I rely, seek, commune, worship, and enjoy God. When that happens, God's divine enabling's there. It's beautiful. So seek the Lord, but seek him in his strength. Lord, I can't do it, which means we got to be real. We can't sit there and play religious games like the temptation is. When you go, well, it's, we're at church we need, we need to act, you know, religious. Brothers and sisters, no, we need to come here. And before we come, God, give us the grace to do that which we cannot do on our own. That's why we ask you to pray before we start. Pray to God and ask that God would condescend and meet with us, his people, to enable us to do the holy worship of God. And you're doing that in your own walk too. God, I, I want to serve you. Romans 7, I want to serve you. Give me the grace to do what you want me to do. Give me the grace. And you know what? To pray that prayer when your heart is cold is, is, is so beautiful and so glorious. It's Satan going, oh, wow. God is amazing. Because he sees you worshiping God even when it doesn't feel. Now, has God moved? No. Has God changed? No. So your worship is just as genuine and uh, sincere. But when our hearts aren't there, how glorious to pray. Oh, God, grant your divine enablement. Strengthen me and encourage me by your grace. So Zion is that we get strengthened by salvation. uh, Secondly, what's the second use of Zion that's a possible candidate here? And that's the worship of God. Brothers and sisters, hear this carefully. If Zion is the source, if Zion, the worship of God, 
is the source of blessing. We can fall into a trap thinking, oh, if I go to worship, I'll get a message. If I go to worship, I'll get the assurance of forgiveness. If I go to worship, I confess my, I, I get to hear it's well with my soul. And those are wonderful blessings that come from the worship of God. But brothers and sisters, we're falling short there. It's not just the blessings that come from worship. It's recognizing that communion with God, worship, is the blessing. Do you get that? So often we're looking for God to bless us. When, brothers and sisters, the greatest blessing you could ever have is the worship of the Lord. Think about that. 30 plus years ago, Piper came out with this statement. It's not and, it's bah. You know what I'm talking about? Man, is to glorify God and enjoy him. And the Reformed Church tends to bifurcate those. You're the glorifying God, enjoy him is separate from glorifying God. He linked them beautifully so. It's to glorify God by enjoying him forever. Brothers and sisters, that is wonderful. I think that's right on, but it's also one half of the story. Not only does the arrow flow from enjoyment to worship, but the arrow also flows that way too. You enjoy God by worshiping him forever. It's both. The more you worship God, the more you'll enjoy God. The more you enjoy God, the more you're going to worship God. Our goal in life is to enjoy, exalt, worship together, all of it. It's two sides of the same coin. And that's where the source of God's enabling grace comes. It's not from worship, it's worship. It's as we worship and exalt, or better yet, if Christ be lifted up in our minds... If Christ be, be, be all, the all and all in our day-to-day living, boy, how that changes the way we suffer. Oh, how it changes the way we handle a red light. Oh, how it changes the way I, I handle dis, a disappointment. Christ, I, am, I, am, I want you, the Lord. That's what I'm after. And if I don't get what I want on this earth, I can take it from your hand. Lord, I want you. That's what I'm... What I'm after, if, if I, in your providence, suffer as I am, or name it, it's, it's well with my soul. It is well because I've got Christ. So the provision is God. It is God enabling us and encouraging us. Yet, brothers and sisters, finally, we're sinners, right? Romans 7, the things I want to do, I don't. The things I don't want to do, I do. So I hear a sermon like this. I go, this sounds so great until I walk out those doors. The moment I take one step out, immediately I'm back to normal life. And my faith is weak and God is so distant and whatever. Brothers and sisters, this psalm ends on a climactic point. This isn't the postlude. This is the climax. Verse 3b. May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. The ancient world, there was not a God in charge of all things. You had a sun god, you had a, a, a harvest god, you had a sea god, you had a travel god, you had a baby god, a, a reproductive god. You had all these different gods. That's the, the culture of this day. So when the Bible says, who made heaven and earth, it's making this incredible statement that you need to wake up on. This god made everything. And by heavens, what are we talking about here? We're talking about the universe which means 200 billion galaxies filled with 200 billion stars this past week in my prayer time. 
I was bound before God and I was in my mind in another galaxy on a planet seeing a speck of dust flying, floating in the air. And I was praising God that that speck of dust was moving according to God's will. And then I thought of, of all of the, you know, I couldn't think of them all, but all of the galaxies and all, and I just sat and went, wow, God, you're doing all that right now where no one can see it. You're doing it to the praise and glory of your name. How does that give me confidence and encouragement that the moment I am right now, I am worshiping and serving you according to your divine appointment? Wow, he's the maker of heaven and earth. That means nothing can be thwarted. That's it. See, brothers and sisters, we got a problem. Our problem is, is we think God's blessings are conditional. We do. The Lord bless you from Zion. And we believe that blessing is uh, conditional. Why? Because remember, the two categories, you're either under the law, which is under performance, or you're under God's favor. Either, you are re- either your world revolves around your desire to please God, your um, attempts to please God, or your world revolves around the fact that God already is pleased with you. This is where you and I are. We live here. That's where we're, we, we stand here. We don't live there, unfortunately. We stand here. But you know what we do? Man, we want to we resurrect the religion of the flesh. And we want to make it where standing in this realm, standing on this side, my Bible reading or lack thereof, what I let my eyes see or not see, that can somehow stop up God as if I'm living here. And that's true here. My, what my eyes see here and what I do here does impact God's relationship with me, right? It's a greater form of suffering if I'm in my rebellion against God, right, on the, on, on the performance side. But in grace, under God's grace, do you understand God's blessing is unconditional? Which means this, in spite of your kicking and screaming, he who began a good work in you We'll complete it. Believe that, brothers and sisters. Take that to the bank. Stop, stop leaving here or this week finding yourself sowing, going, oh, I've done so horrible things. God could never bless me. Brothers and sisters, he's blessed you in Christ from Zion. If you're saved, you're in Zion. He's blessed you already. Your job is not to try to earn God's blessings. See, we have the idea because we take that worldview. We believe that God's blessings follow our workings when it's the other way around. This whole category has been blessed. Now they work. Brothers and sisters, may you and I not be a people who leave here discouraged because of the horrible plight I've lived. But may we leave here thrilled, rejoicing, glorying in the fact that it is well with your soul because this God has, has, before the world began, set his favor upon you. That's the idea behind the maker of heaven and and earth. It can't be stopped. Nothing you do, nothing you say is going to stop it. Romans 8, you know the verse. I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor... We know it. I'm not going to say it. We know that verse can separate us from the love of God. But we always add to that, except my performance. No. It's all God. I'm going to close with the words of uh, Mr. 
I'm not Scottish, and I don't know if I can say Mr. Michael. Maybe he stuttered. Michael, as he put it, the priestly benediction brings God before us in a twofold character. He's described first as the creator of the universe. He is described in the second place as dwelling in Zion. And the first aspect, he is represented as the God of nature. And the second is the God of grace, because Zion was the resting place of the ark. When I contemplate him as the, as the creator of the universe, there is abundant proof that he can bless me. Nothing can stop that. When I contemplate him as dwelling in the church, there is abundant proof that he will. Brothers and sisters, this is the climax. I wonder in my mind if when we enter glory, the chorus of redeemed saints from, from before say with one voice, Bless ye the Lord, you servant of the Lord. But brothers and sisters, that's the divine call this day. May God give us the grace to leave this place, Zion, Jerusalem, and go back to our homes with the divine benediction, the Lord bless you from Zion. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for your word, for this section of scripture. So didactic, so helpful, so relatable to us as pilgrims struggling in this, in this land of sin and misery. God, I pray you'd give us the grace to be a people, Lord, who would set as our focus, enjoying and glorifying you. Set as our focus, you, Lord, and that we would not allow the liturgies that we have established in our lives to compete but that, Lord, we would use them for what they were designed for, and that is for us to truly and genuinely serve you. Lord, that doesn't mean that we'll feel a certain way. We know that, but it certainly means, oh God, that we are indeed fulfilling the highest call you've placed on our lives to, to, to glorify and enjoy you. Lord, be exalted, we pray. Individually in this body, each individual, corporately in the families, corporately in the family of God, Oh God, be exalted, be glorified. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's go to the table.